Hello and welcome to Ways Women Lead, the podcast where remarkable female leaders share their personal journeys and offer valuable guidance on advancing your career as a woman in leadership. Join host Anna Gramadska and her guests as they delve into various aspects of leadership, including diversity, equity, and inclusion. This podcast is brought to you by Six Group, a global executive search and leadership advisory firm. Hi, my name is Anna Grumatska and I am your host. And today I have the pleasure to speak to Lawrence Noel, who is a distinguished leader with an impressive 27-year career in the automotive industry. Having worked for Stellantis and previously for the PSA Group before its merger with Fiat Chrysler, Lorenz has held key leadership roles, including general management, corporate planning, business development, and research and development. Throughout her career, Lorenz has been at the forefront of implementing new businesses and driving transformative initiatives. She is passionate about business, sustainability, technologies, and the automotive sector and is a firm believer in empowering others and creating a supportive environment for individuals to thrive. Uh, Lawrence, welcome to Ways Women Lead. It is a pleasure to have you here. Thank you, Anna, for having me this morning. I'm very pleased to be with you. Let's start in, with digging in a little bit more into your fantastic leadership journey. And um, what a career it has been so diversified and so many experiences you have had that brought lessons and learnings and tips that you can share with, uh, with other people who might want to enter into similar career path. So maybe to kind of give it a little bit more context, what do you consider the key milestones in your leadership journey and why were they key in getting to where you are uh, currently in your career? I would say that leadership, as you said, it's, it's, it was a journey, but it was also a learning journey. A learning about people, but also about myself. And if I want to share some tips, I will say maybe three steps uh, for me. The first is as a leader, you need to for sure lead the way, give people a sense of purpose, a goal. So that can only be achieved, in my opinion, when putting their own contribution in the big picture. So you need to share enough information. You need to put things into perspective and lead through a vision that they will see and understand what is it you would like uh, as a team to achieve. And somewhere you need, you must yourself set the example. And the second thing is more like as a woman, you're very aware or you are aware very soon about what can a cognitive bias do. I mean, you need to talk, you need to ask, you need to discuss, you need to assess. And, and that's what is, is, is the most important, I think. And, and for sure, plus I would say gender equality is far from being achieved. So you really need to, to go for it and just to, to fight against uh, uh, gender and, and any, any cognitive bias. But you need to be aware of that. And finally, and the third one, I would say I came to the conclusion that uh, my job as a leader was more being like um, a coach uh, to my teammates. So, I mean, being demanding as well as benevolent, uh, giving them space to grow, challenging them and pushing them to explore, but still ensuring that it is safe for the business, for sure. But that is, for me, the best definition of what a leader should be. 
And personally, I find it very rewarding when I see um, somewhere talents uh, blooming under my watch. I mean, this is probably the most rewarding thing you are able to uh, find in your job. So uh, these are very, very interesting uh, advice and there's a lot to unpack here. So what was that key moment for you when you realized, okay, I shouldn't be doing this as a leader, I should be doing that instead? Maybe that could give us uh, some nice tangible advice. Now, for sure, when you when you start your job as a leader, you see, okay, I need to set up the example. And sometimes there is a bit of confusion between set the example and do everything by yourself. Yes, you're not going to have all the answer as a leader. So when you do realize that, because you're going you're gonna to realize it very soon, I mean that you lead a team with different skills and you don't have all the skills they have. And, and if you choose them, it's because of their particular skills, you know? So you need to rely on them. Otherwise, you're going to be alone and you don't need a team. So that's not going to work. So you need to trust yourself. You need to trust yourself to trust the other. Mm-hmm. And you need to rely on their skills and you need to push them also to experiment to be uh, a better themselves uh, and so that it's gonna make them grow but it's gonna make you grow as well because as i said you are a leader but you're still you you still have a leader yourself so i mean the way you want to to be treated is also important in the way you're gonna treat people or the way you are treated is also kind of shaping the way you're going to manage your own team. The the thing which is the most important, you need to know yourself well. Mm -hmm. You need to trust yourself. You need to trust the other and be very observant of what's going on. And this brings me nicely to your experience in Malaysia, right? Because you were placed in a completely different culture where people communicate differently. The interpretation of what people say is different than what it would be, uh, let's say, in France or in another European country. And if you don't take that into consideration, that there could be tensions, there could be uh, misinterpretations, there could be disappointments, missed deadlines, missed even objectives, right? So tell me about this experience. Again, from the beginning, what, what did you do in Malaysia? Just to give you a little bit of context and why was it such a big, interesting learning and why... Uh, it's important for leaders to learn these lessons too. Uh, so first, it was really a tremendous challenge, just to be clear. Uh, I spent in Southeast Asia three years, among uh, which uh, one year and a half uh, through COVID, and basically lockdowns all the way, or the ent- almost the entire time. Um, I was in charge of the operation in Southeast Asia, which means the 10 countries of ASEAN plus uh, Hong Kong and Taiwan. And I was also the CEO of a small Malaysian company, a manufacturing joint venture uh, in Malaysia. And to come back to your question, uh, uh, yes, I mean, that's the most important thing for me. It was like you need to be aware of the cultural gap and what is your cultural background versus there and to adapt your management style just to even facilitate the communication. You know, in most countries in Asia, people won't say no to your face. And if it's your staff, it's because you're the boss and the boss is always right. So nobody is going to contradict you, which may be a bit comfortable, but it's also an issue because you can say, okay, do that. It's going to be a catastrophe, but they're going to do it. Mm -hmm. You really need to take time to let them express and it may be difficult. Yes, basically they, they shall say yes 
we can, but nothing is going to happen. Nothing is going to be done. They will even vanish, maybe. Uh, so you really need to be aware of that. And really, I put a lot of efforts and, and it's been super rewarding in building relationships there because nothing will be done without relationship. I mean, the relationships need to be based on respect, mutual understanding, and that takes time. Uh, but afterwards, uh, everything can move very fast. Mm -hmm. um, the other challenge for sure was the COVID uh, and that we had to uh, fight uh, to keep things on track. Uh, as you can imagine, when your plant is closed by the government decision and the same for the showrooms and there's no money coming in, it's difficult. Mm -hmm. And it's difficult uh, also because you know that there is people on your team that are mainly depending on, on you, I mean, on the company, on, on, on what we're going to be able to do. So you need to be creative, uh, you need to be fierce, and you need to fight. And yes, we went through rough time, uh, but at the end of the day, it made us more uh, resilient. Uh, we even learned a lot. And I remember very well my team telling me, oh, no, you know, we cannot do that. And the and the administration, they're not going to agree on that. And, and the government, uh, and I was saying, okay, but guys, we, we do not have choice. So let's try to do it. And, mm -hmm. and we did it. And, and they were very proud of their achievement as well. Mm -hmm. So so what was that that they were against and, and you decided to do it anyway? Can, are you able to share? I mean, when the COVID came, we've been asked to, to close the company. And I had uh, many vehicles ready to be shipped for another country. And I say, I want to ship them because that's where the money is going to come in. And I don't know when... I'm going to be able to do that afterwards. So I said, okay, send people to the to the plant and just for them to prepare the car, make sure they will have masks, everything. They're going to be far away from each other uh, just to uh, avoid any risk of transmission. Mm -hmm. and, and they told me, no, we can't do that. And I say, yes, write a letter to the government. I'm going to write a letter and let's do it uh, uh, in a very transparent way. We've been controlled and they say, okay, the company is nothing without the people, so you you need to make sure that they're going to be well taken care of. We we came through much more resilient uh, than we were uh, before, mm -hmm. so that that was also a great uh, a lesson for everybody and a great achievement. Last time when we talked about it as well, you you uh, told me a little bit about how when you first took on this role uh, in Asia, what you had to do was to observe people before making decisions before uh, telling people what should be done or, or before communicating too much. You were observing a lot to understand what were people like. So that was one way to understand the culture and to make sure that when you are more proactive, you can be effective. Yes, for sure. As, as, I, as we're telling you, I mean, the cultural gap is important. So, I mean, the first thing when you're taking a job is not to talk a lot, is more to <laughs> listen a lot and to understand uh, all the stakeholders uh, you're going to have around you. And, and stakeholders being, I don't know, being the government of the different countries, being uh, as the partner as a distribution, being people in your in your company, being people in the JV, being the uh, is the shareholder of the JV. I mean, there is many, many, many stakeholders and and the customers as well. Because first thing you need you need to do when you want to set up a business is to understand the uh, customer um, expectations. Do you feel leaders do enough of it? Listen 
listening because I find it quite often one small change that leaders could could make to be more effective. Do you see that as well in your industry in organizations that you have been with that you know the ability to listen effectively is that one small change that can take that leader further and and make them more effective? No, I think it's. I think it was one of uh, of the most important advice I've been given. Frankly speaking, mm-hmm. to listen mm-hmm. more. At the end of the day, as I told you, it's more like to observe more and to be aware, mm-hmm. um, because that helped me in a way that I saw things I was not seeing before and made me more also aware of what was going on and able to react and interact where I needed to and only where I needed to. Mm-hmm. And it made me, for sure, more efficient and and more grounded at the same time. And you're right. I mean, it's it's something that uh, people should do uh, better. You learn it very fast or or you don't, basically, in Asia, Mm -hmm. because people, they are not showing how they feel inside so I would like to move to your most recent role at uh, Stellantis. That was also a very interesting experience. Uh, so you were the senior vice president. You set up the circular economy business. And again, there was a lot of interesting challenges. You weren't given a very clear uh, mandate. You had to set up this business, but there was a lot of things you had to figure out yourself from scratch. So, so again, it was a huge learning curve. Uh, which you have done uh, successfully. So if you could give a little bit more context and, and tell a little bit more about it, that would be super interesting. Yes. The, the mandate was clear and unclear, frankly speaking, because, you know, when you talk, we talk about sustainability, the question the company needs to answer is where they want to raise their ambition. Uh, because if you stay with the CSR reporting, basically you will deal with compliance, what you must do and maybe obligation, what you're expected to do to reduce your risk. But you can also go all the way up to create value and define new business models leading to wider transformation in the companies. And for Stellantis, the ultimate goal was to create a new accretive business. For sure, we had no clue at the beginning on how to do that. So this is, this is what, where was the challenge. But this new accretive business that we I defined was to bring uh, 2 billion euro as turnover by 2030, led by two pillars. First was extend the lifespan of the product and services by repairing, remanufacturing, reusing, and basically giving a a second or third life to products. Like for example, you're gonna transform an IC vehicle into a BV, things like this, or refurbish cars. And the second pillar was to uh, recycle, so to get the material back in the loop as secondary uh, material. So for sure, doing this, you you need also to reassess the way you design products, uh, making them easy to rework, to disassemble, to recycle. That we call what is called um, circular design as well as the way you purchase uh, things, uh, your relationship with your suppliers, because if you tell them, oh, guys, you know, we we are changing things right now, I'm going to give you all the materials you need to do my stuff. Then you will send the the goods back to me. That's major uh, change in the relationship. Mm -hmm. So the biggest challenge was for sure to build a a consistent, ambitious strategic plan. Um, The company will approve and a detailed roadmap 
and start the implementation with sometimes dedicated partner. And for that, I had to set up and organize a team of what I call pioneers somewhere. Mm-hmm. That's what we've done. And I consider is at a very great experience and kind of a success as well, because even if I left my position and the group, uh, the team is still uh, there and, and the plan is being implemented and, and some of the partnership we work on are being signed. So I'm, I'm, I'm kind of happy with it. What did you find most challenging in, in this whole uh, experience? It was to figure out what, mm-hmm. what will bring value for the company. Mm-hmm. And, and you need, there is many, many things. So you need to make some prioritization mm-hmm. on what you can start with. Uh, you need also to be very humble. We haven't been so involved in what happened after uh, the three years after we, we, we sold a vehicle or things like this, but there's there's already um, an ecosystem around that. So you, you need to enter this ecosystem. You need to be very humble and to find partners as well. I've been in contact with many people, with people doing the same job as me in different company. Mm-hmm. I even go back to school just to understand what it was about. So you really need to uh, to push yourself and to, um, to find people, other examples, things which are done maybe in other industries that can make you think of what you could do. But that was also really, really exciting. And I mean, that that's, that's kind of opportunity you don't always have in your, in your career. So it was really exciting. And so today at Stellantis, all cars produced, all parts are being taken through that business as in being recycled. Is everything part of that circular economy or does it touch certain business units and you have plans to expand it to to the rest of the company? Stellantis announced that they will uh, they will set up their uh, circular economy um, plant, I will say, in Mirafiori uh, to do many uh, things like remanufacturing and things like this. So it's part of circular economy already. But, but for sure, I mean, that working in that kind of environment, nobody can do things alone. So mm-hmm. you need also to convince uh, engineering that they need to change the way they design products, that they need to implement things to make it easier uh, mm-hmm. for a circular economy to, to perform in, in a certain way. As I was saying, you need also to review the way you working uh, with uh, suppliers and uh, uh, yes it's it's ongoing you know there is a, mm-hmm. already a, a huge business done in the per parts field remanufacturing thing re- reducing parts repairing parts and i even uh, created a brand a kind of a brand which is called sustainera and uh, also um, to give a second life uh, to product, it has been announced a partnership with a, a kind of a startup Kinomic to transform a IC vehicle into BEV. So things are moving forward. And for recycling, I think they announced also MOU signed with uh, recycling partners in Europe. So yes, things are, are moving forward and, uh, and it's building the business now. What about um, a business case for it? Because, of course, there's huge social case for it. I'm curious, was it difficult to make it, you know, is it contributing to business profits? Uh, I think that the, the group did not communicate on, on that, but it's a profitable business, I can mm-hmm. tell you. It's mm-hmm. even very profitable because when you think about all the waste we can uh, generate 
it's just value we're gonna we're, we're gonna lose we have all this this uh, new company uh, manufacturing a battery and we have also the battery scrap uh during the process you're able to generate a lot of scrap it's the same in the automotive business ever if you're able to reuse those scrap that's value creation you're gonna bring in your uh, in your organization so better than dispose them and pave you know for for them to be disposed you're gonna reuse them so mm -hmm. that next time you're gonna manufacture products uh, you will need maybe 20%, maybe 30%, maybe 50% material less because you're going to be able to reuse your scrap. So it's it's basically value creation. But you need to be careful because there is some, some things you need to be aware of. I mean, that logistic is a huge part of the process of circular economy. So you, you need to control that cost. And this is probably the most important one. Also the cost of uh, disassembling things uh, I mean, for example, to get the material back or disassembling just to rework them. So that's why I'm saying that you need to design products having that in mind to make sure that it's going to be easy to disassemble. And then you're not going to lose the value of the material or of the, of the parts you can get back only because you're going to spend a lot of time to disassemble things. Mm -hmm. things around. So logistic, disassembling, all of that has to be very well controlled. And then that could be a very profitable business. Leading nicely from, from that, because, of course, you spend so much time in the automotive industry, uh, it would be interesting to find out from you, what do you see as the biggest challenge for a leader today uh, in the automotive industry? There is many change happening in the automotive industry. So it started... Uh, it started not that, that long ago with all the uh, concern around uh, CO2 and carbon footprint, where you need to move to BV, and, and then there is uh, the connectivities. So, I mean, this is fascinating, but all the change happening now with the technology, all the disruptions in the product itself, also in, into the process linked to that, that is really challenging. And on top of that, it's not only for automotive uh, leader, I will say it's for everybody, is how you're going to adjust to be in the era of remote work and artificial intelligence. Mm -hmm. It's the two most disruptive things uh, that you're facing right now. And my thing, and when I think about it, I mean that for me in leadership, the magic happens when you're able to bring people together, developing a team spirit. And it's probably a bit more challenging right now. So that means that you you really need to be agile. You really need to, to be open to change and even more than open to embrace the change, to reinvent yourself constantly. And somewhere also to keep your uh, ability to unplug sometimes and to and to reset. The skills I would seek for uh, would be more agility, you know, resilience, uh, mm -hmm. toughness, and and probably a lot of uh, humor as well, as to be a part of the package of the of the leader mm -hmm. today. It makes things easier, right? <laughs> when when there is a lot of pressure and a lot of change, it makes things easier. Yeah, it's, it's interesting because on one hand, remote working has opened up opportunities for many people who 
couldn't have full-time careers now to have them. Uh, so flexibility is very important. But on the other hand, I do understand that in, many leaders might find it so much more difficult to to develop the same belonging and, and loyalty and inspire people in the same way towards meeting that one common goal. It's much more difficult to spread that same energy through through internet and and that's true we we social beings it's part of our nature so this is something that many leaders are still trying to figure out there there are new roles that presented themselves in many organizations called uh, remote experience manager and the whole job is to understand and how how this new dynamic uh, happens uh, yeah. in remote working and how to recreate that same inspiration you get from getting together as a team in this remote uh, internet environment. Final question, a little bit about uh, diversity in the automotive. So, of course, there's still the proportion of female leaders is still lower than male leaders. What's your thinking about it? Do you see things changing? Uh, Do you see some good initiatives happening? Do you think there should be more of some other things happening to attract more women into leadership positions within the automotive industry? Yes, it's still a big issue, and frankly speaking, and not only into, into uh, automotive, but also into industry, into tech, and uh, it's kind of a chicken and egg story, because the less gender equality you have, the less equity you have uh, as well, and this will make you not the most uh, desirable place to work in for a woman, so you want to attract them. So, I mean, that's really complicated. And and that what we need to be aware of is everybody is biased. So if you put in the same room only men, and it works also with women, they will share the same uh, bias. So they won't even be aware of it, and nothing will change. But if you introduce diversity, then someone will point out that there is a bias here, and it will be a manage, bringing more equity for everybody. So, yes, so that's, that's still a chicken and egg story. And yes, what we can do, it's always the same. We can work on the source, go with that female role model are really important for young people, and not only for girls, but also for boys. But I will say maybe we need to, I don't know, incentivize teachers for them encouraging more female go into science and math. That's the way it's going to work. Or uh, have specific classroom to um, motivate more uh, girls or uh, and, and be able to propose attractive job. Then in the company, it's always kind of the same rule, having quotas when you're hiring early detection of talents and not bias through kind of 50-50 male-female committees, uh, quotas in promotion at each and every level in the company, and a lot of education and bias awareness training. But if I may insist on two topics we've, we are not doing, first, I think that there is something that we've been as a woman neglecting since we are a little girl. And because maybe we did not get that much opportunity to do is to be part of a woman network because that's gonna give you strength and support. Mm-hmm. And I mean, when you're a man, you've been raising it. You went through an engineer school where you have 84% of your peers there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so you need to do that. And I think companies should encourage this and not only through an internal network, because internal network is 
is still, you know, there is this relationship where you are at work and you need to prove yourself. So it's a bit more difficult, but external uh, women networks that will help. I'm myself part of a fabulous network, International Women Forum. And I feel really that I wasted so much time not to have done it before. And I'm always able to find support. Is it for personal matter? Is it for professional matter? Is it to create a relationship, to create a link with someone? It's always working. And the other thing I think is women need to find support in day-to-day tasks uh, because figures show that women are still more invested in housekeeping stuff, kids stuff, administrative paperwork stuff. So it's difficult for them to find time and to be in, in networks, for example, or networking. Um, and I guess that sometimes better than invest in coaching, mentoring program for women companies should invest more in stuff like, I don't know, personal assistant to help uh, mm-hmm. them cope with all the tasks they have to perform. Because when you think about talent detection, it's basically people between 35 and 40, 30 or 40. And this is the moment that everything is happening. You're having kids, you have a great job. And as you're a woman, you need to prove yourself more. So you're doing much more and you're completely overwhelmed. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's something we need to think about. And I I know a very good friend of mine, they created a startup called YOLO and they're proposing B2B program just to give that support. And I think it's very, very smart. And I think it's very, very smart. that's all what I can say. And maybe maybe choose carefully your partner uh, in life. <laughs> <laughs> that's a really good advice. But that's very true. That's a very good advice. Yes, that's very because... true. And, and, and this is something I, I see with, with my, my girlfriends, all those successful and as the same age as me, they have all a reliable partner in their life. Mm-hmm. Also, I love the very practical advice about having an assistant. Uh, delegate. You, you do yes, what's... It, it, it's delegate, but it, I mean, that maybe that could be part of, sort of the program of the company when they want to support uh, young talents to say, okay, we're going to give this extra tip. But it works also for men, basically. I mean, that's, they're facing the same thing. So maybe it's part of the thing we could, uh, could do. But gender equality, it's still something you need to put on the top of the pile with the climate issues and there are probably the two main causes you need to go for uh, for the next uh, years or maybe the next century i don't know i I hope it's going to be years please (laughs) i hope it's not going to be centuries Uh, i think we're progressing i think we're doing well so leaving on this note I, i see a lot of positive change and i'm really glad that a lot of people are supporting it from all genders and all backgrounds, which is great to see. Thank you very much for contributing with your thoughts. I could be asking you lots of questions because there's a lot of interesting insights you have. And clearly you are very passionate about what you've been doing. I mean, leadership and and enabling people. This is really nice to see. So thank you very much again for for being part of the podcast. And thank you, Anna, for having me as well. It was really nice to talk to you. That's it for this month's Ways Women Lead episode. But there is plenty more insightful and actionable advice from where this podcast came from. 
check out our website on www.6-group.com. If you'd like to know more about how to build and develop diverse, inclusive and effective leadership teams and how to progress your career as a leader. See you next time.